the first book of Samuel and reading the whole of chapter 20. David and Jonathan. Then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to take my life? Never, Jonathan replied. You're not going to die? Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without confiding in me. Why should he hide this from me? It's not so. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. So David said, look, tomorrow is the new moon festival, and I am supposed to dine with the king, but let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me, at all, tell me. David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says, very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan said. If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? David asked, who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Come, Jonathan said, Let's go into the field. So they went there together. Then Jonathan said to David, By the Lord, the God of Israel, I will surely sound out my father by this time the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed towards you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father is inclined to harm you, may the Lord deal with me be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away safely. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father, but show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live, so that I may not be killed, and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon festival. You will be missed because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow, towards evening, go to the place where you hid when this trouble began, and wait by the stone easel. 
I will shoot three arrows to the side of it. And though I were, sh- as, uh, though I were shooting as a target, then I will send a boy and say, go find the arrows. If I say to him, look, the arrows are on the side of you, bring them here, then come, because as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe. There is no danger. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are beyond you, then you must go, because the Lord has sent you away. And about the matter you and I discussed, remember, the Lord is witness between you and me forever. So David hid in the field, and when New Moon Festival came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his customary place by the wall opposite Jonathan, and Abner sat next to Saul. But David's place was empty. Saul said nothing that day, for he thought something must have happened to David to make him ceremonially unclean. Surely he is unclean. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. Then Saul said to his son Jonathan, Why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal, neither yesterday nor today? Jonathan answered, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go because your family is observing a sacrifice in the town, and my brother has ordered me to be there. If I have found favor in your eyes, let me go to see my brothers. That is why he has not come to the king's table. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, Neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send and bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger On that second day of the month, he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy with him, and he said to the boy, Run and find the arrows I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him, Isn't the arrow behind you? Then he shouted, Hurry, go quickly, don't stop. The boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing of all this. Only Jonathan and David knew. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, Go carry them back to the town. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other 
in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to the town. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, in these last days you have spoken to us through your Son. Uh, And we pray that as we see his shadow in this story, you give us eyes to see him uh, in his glory. You'd send your Holy Spirit on us to open our eyes, uh, to warm our hearts, to transform us into his likeness and to go out into the world to share him with others. Amen. Well, everyone likes a winner. It's why it's very hard to support the England football team. Um, But as any England supporter will tell you, that the test of a true fan is not uh, what happens when things are going well. Um, It's what happens when things are going badly. England have a lot of true fans. Um, But after David killed Goliath, everyone loved him. That's when his friendship with Jonathan started. Um, But it was a friendship that actually, we hear, was replicated throughout the country. All Israel and Judah loved David, it says in chapter 18. It's easy to be friends with God's anointed king when he's coming back to the city in triumph for the crowds are singing his praises. But what happens when the crowds are gone? What what happens when the, the leader of the nation Uh, is plotting against him? What what happens when that plot is to put him to death? Who's his friend then? Or or if that feels a bit distant from us, uh, think about it this way. The the summer is coming. Uh, A lot of us may be going to a Christian conference or a summer camp. Uh, And those are great times. Crowds of other Christians singing, hearing great messages, spending time with friends, and just feeling really excited. We'll do anything for Jesus. And then you you come back home, and maybe you come back to a family that doesn't know him, doesn't like him even. Maybe you're then back to school or or back to work, and and you're on your own. Uh, The crowds aren't there anymore. Maybe it's not normal to be a Christian anymore. It's a bit weird, maybe a bit embarrassing even. Uh, And all those great plans to do stuff for Jesus suddenly seem to get in the way of of the other stuff that actually you'd quite like to do. What what happens then? What what keeps the friendship going then? Well, that's the kind of situation we find Jonathan in at the beginning of chapter 20. After the, the glorious clarity of David's victory over Goliath at the end of chapter 17 and, and the beginning of their friendship that that has now been replaced with a a swirl of confusion. David uh, is on the run and he comes to Jonathan, just fires off questions. What have I done? What's my crime? Why is your father trying to kill me? And Jonathan is utterly bewildered. I mean, he knows that Saul has tried this in the past. Uh, We see at the beginning of of chapter 19, a previous episode, where, where Jonathan manages to reconcile the two. He calms his father down. But he's, he's heard nothing about this. His father doesn't normally do anything without telling him. This is bewildering. 
Surely he would know. But David swears it is true. And at this point, the great test of their friendship begins. And it goes through four tests, each growing more intense as we go along. And the first test of their friendship is just straightforward embarrassment. If you look at verse 24, so David hid in the field, and when the new moon festival came, the king sat down to eat. What a contrast. There you have King Saul ready to feast, keeping his religious festival. Uh, Abner, the commander of his army, is at his side. His son and assumed heir is across the table from him. Servants coming, everything around him saying, you are the king. And then there's David, on his own, in a field, with only a rock for company. Who would you choose in that situation? Well, Jonathan chooses friendship with David. But, but why? Well, let's look at verses 13 to 15. The end of 13. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live, so that I may not be killed, and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. As Jonathan sits at that feast, sees everything surrounding his father, surrounding the king, he knows it's not going to last. As he says, you know, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father, but he knows, he knows the Lord is not with his father anymore. Now, as we heard in chapter 18, King Saul is an enemy to David for the rest of his life. And the Lord is going to cut off the enemies of David from the face of the earth. His kingdom is not going to endure. It looks great now, but you can have very pretty firewood and it's going to end up as ashes eventually. Jonathan endures this, this embarrassment of being David's friend at this point because he knows it will not last forever. But then the, the second test of their friendship cuts a bit closer. You see, embarrassment is one thing, but, but what happens when your friend threatens your own ambitions? As Saul says to Jonathan, as long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. He's in the way. And the power and the, the intensity of this test comes in the fact that this is partly true. You know, if David becomes king, Jonathan won't. You, you can't have two kings. It's fairly straightforward. Uh, and if Jonathan doesn't become king, then his sons and his grandsons won't become king. Jonathan's friendship with David means that he is subject to genuine loss. He will not be king. But it's also partly false. Because only if David becomes king will Jonathan and his family be truly established. Not as kings themselves, but as friends of the king. Look again at verses 14 and 15. Show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord 
as long as I live, so that I may not be killed and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. You see, if if Jonathan had chosen at this point to, to keep his life, to keep his kingdom, then he would have ended up losing it. But he chooses to lose his life for David's sake, and in doing so, finds it and finds life for his family. And this is what it is now. This is what friendship with Jesus means. It, it means sacrifice. It means denying ourselves. It means taking up our cross. But it's the exchange of temporary friendship with an ultimately dissatisfying world for eternally delightful friendship with the true king. Which would you choose? So Jonathan has, has endured embarrassment. He's even endured personal loss for David's sake. But then comes another test, which some here may be familiar with, and it's the test of family disapproval, even family hatred. Jonathan is is presented with a straightforward choice between loyalty to his family and loyalty to God's anointed king. Which one will he choose? Ten times in the first 13 verses, Saul is referred to not by his name, but by his relationship to Jonathan as his father. How have I wronged your father? David asked. My father doesn't do anything without telling me. Or your father knows very well. Well, If your father misses me, why hand me over to your father? If my father was determined to kill you, who will tell me if your father answers harshly? I'll sound out my father. If my father is inclined to harm you, may the Lord be with you as he's been with my father. That repetition, my father, your father, my father, your father, emphasizes this fact. Jonathan is Saul's son. And he is having to make a decision between that and his friendship with David. He's in a direct conflict. He can't have both. And so when the feast comes and David, uh, sorry, Jonathan defends David, Saul reacts furiously. Verse 30, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? Saul cannot even bring himself to say David's name. He's he's the son of Jesse, again emphasizing the family division. But he's saying to Jonathan, you are acting like an illegitimate child. You're acting like you don't even belong to this family. You, You are bringing shame on us and on yourself. But again, in the Gospels, Jesus says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. This is what it is to choose God's anointed king. And and how does Jonathan respond? Well, the word father after those first 13 verses only appears three more times in the chapter, in verses 32 to 34. What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. And Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. And he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. And so he gets up from the feast and he leaves. And now there's not just one empty seat. There are two empty seats. David's and Jonathan's. David, sorry, Jonathan chooses friendship over family. 
Which would you choose? And then in the middle of this third and final uh, third trial comes the fourth and final one. And that is the trial of physical harm. He's got through embarrassment. He's he's overcome the, the challenge to jealousy. And he's even managed to stand up to his father. But would he really risk his life for his friend? Verse 33, Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Just as Saul had threatened and tried to kill David in the past, he now does exactly the same to his son, hurls a spear at him to kill him. Jonathan's friendship with David is such that he is willing to endure the risk of personal harm and even death for him. And as the Apostle Paul says in Romans eight seventeen, of our friendship with David's greater son, we are co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings that we may also share in his glory. Just as, as the future glory of David's kingdom encourages and enables Jonathan to suffer with him in the present, that the future glory of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is what strengthens us to endure suffering with him. This is a remarkable friendship. And it is a picture of the relationship between the son of David and his followers. But if you're anything like me, it's, it's also quite a daunting picture, maybe even a, a discouraging one. Because who has lived up to this kind of friendship? I mean, forget physical harm. Embarrassment is often enough to make me stumble, to make me keep quiet. You don't need someone throwing a spear at me to do that. But for others here, the, the pressure may be coming from the family. Or, or perhaps Jesus has competition from other ambitions and desires, a, a relationship or a, or a career, or even just the desire for an easy life. What hope is there for us who failed as friends? Well, we... We meet David in this chapter on a downward trajectory in his life. The the victory over Goliath is a distant memory. The songs of the crowds have faded and he's on his own in a field. But he has a faithful friend. Yet when we move forward in the Bible, in the gospel story, and we look at Jesus Christ, we see the same pattern. The songs of of Palm Sunday fade away. Uh, The crowds who worshipped and praised him as he came into Jerusalem have disappeared. And he finds himself alone in a garden. And he's taken some friends with him. And he says, watch and pray. And he goes back to them. And they're asleep. They failed him. And as the, the pressure of that time grows and grows, and he is sentenced to death, Each one of those friends abandons him till he is on his own with no one. And yet when he is raised to life three days later, he comes back to those very friends who had failed him. And he says to them, peace be with you. Because of his faithfulness, 
the friendship didn't end. I don't know what the pressure is that you're facing in your friendship with Jesus Christ. The picture of Jonathan and David gives us something to live up to. But in our failures, we know too, we have a great friend, the friend of sinners, the friend of failures, and the friend who never fails. And so we can come to him, we can receive that same peace. And then we can go out in the confidence of that peace, in the confidence of his friendship with us, and confidently declare our friendship with him, whatever the cost. Amen.